everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mature Audiences Mayhem, the show where we talk about things that other shows either cannot or will not talk about, things they're afraid to talk about, things that are for mature audiences only. This is kind of a safe space where everybody can just say whatever they want to, and it doesn't count. Today, a very special podcast. We're back in the world of pro wrestling. Let me set this up and explain it this way. Don Callis. He is one of the most amazing and knowledgeable people in the sport. He's the guy that runs Impact Pro Wrestling. And about a year ago, I asked him, who are the guys that you think are the the future superstars of the sport, the next generation of guys that are going to be on top of the sport? And the first name that he said was a guy by the name of Ace Austin. Uh and Ace Austin is our guest today. If you haven't seen him wrestle, you you just see him to understand. He has it. He is the it factor. Not only is he a really talented wrestler, but he brings a certain charisma to the screen. It reminds me a little bit. I'm going to throw out two names and, you know, see if he's happy with this or not. But uh, first, he, he is sort of like a young Chris Jericho. Uh, Chris Jericho, we've called the goat on this uh podcast many times uh, he also reminds me a little bit of owen hart uh in just the charisma that he brings to the table here so with that in mind i bring you the great i'm going to try to hit my sound effects for the first time ever on the show the great ace austin oh yeah i, I that's the first time i've got owen hart for sure i've gotten jericho before but uh that's pretty cool uh i Funny enough, actually, my mom almost named me Jericho. I found I found out my my first name was almost Jericho when I was born. Really, that would have been interesting. That certainly would have. <laughs> and then perhaps you would have ended up in the sport uh, as Jericho. You could have a Jericho versus Jericho match. Yeah, um, who knows? I might be. I'm, I might have uh, might have gotten in much earlier than I did if I would have had that name. It's earlier than you did. Okay. Well, I mean, you're pretty young as it is. I want to get into that with you, your, your, how you got started and everything. First off, let me do a, a coronavirus check-in with you, though, because we're doing uh, this podcast in the middle of the, the shutdown. People are going to be listening to this podcast a year from now. They won't even remember what it was like during this time, perhaps. But everybody in the country is sort of locked in their houses and only going out for groceries. What are you doing with yourself during this shutdown? Uh, well, at first, I mean, it, it was uh... – it was an, an unwelcomed, you know, kind of resting period that I, I have never given myself before. I, I five years of doing this, April, uh, April is my five year mark. So five years of doing it now, I've just been as hard at it as I possibly could be. And, uh, I refused to take, you know, any kind of time off or anything. So when it first started, uh, I just decided to give myself a good, you know, week and then it became two weeks of, you know, not really doing anything, just maybe catching up on some video games that I bought and never got to play, uh, just chilling, giving myself some time to reset. And then after that two weeks hit, it's kind of like I'm, I'm more than ready to just get back at it and do my thing. So, so now I'm just, uh, trying to not get lazy, you know, trying to, trying to stay working out every day that I can. And, uh, uh, you know, just watching, you know, studying wrestling, of course, and just keeping my head in it as best I can. You know, a lot of wrestlers work basically like 300 dates a year. 
do you think now having gone through a couple of weeks off and healing up a little bit that maybe wrestlers should sort of have a mandatory healing period every once in a while? It, I'm, I mean, it certainly wouldn't hurt. I mean, there's, uh, there's many of us that there's, there's many wrestlers that are, that are like me in the mentality of, of not really wanting to stop, not really wanting the time off. You just feed off of this thing and it kind of keeps you alive. Uh, and some of us have even kind of felt when we did take this time off that our, our, our bodies ironically hurt a little more than they did when we were at it all the time, because we didn't, we never got that chance to recover. So we, you know, we kind of just kept moving past those little nagging injuries and now they are just kind of sitting and bothering us a little bit. Um, so people would definitely benefit from it. I, I mean, it would force people to try to take care of themselves better than they normally do because they just use the schedule as kind of an excuse to not, you know, tend to themselves, which I do as well. I'm guilty of that just as much. You know, I love the sport of wrestling. I love watching, uh, especially like watching the indie shows. Um, but what I don't like that much, maybe I'm the only one here. So, somebody sent me a video the other day of some guy uh, diving off of the top of uh, a balcony in a mall into a ring that was, you know, like 20 or 30 feet below him. And, it, and he said, hey, isn't this great? And I went, no, no, I don't, I don't really want to see somebody potentially getting hurt. I think for me, it's more entertaining to have the theatrics of the sport, the whole thing of building up hatred of a bad guy and then seeing a good guy come in and beat the bully. Where do you fall on this? Do you think it's funny you bring that up? Because yeah. I, I actually just I just met that kid that did that that did that spot off of the uh, balcony because I got booked on a uh, Comic Con event down in Louisiana uh, right before all this went down. Yeah. And um, they had me on like a you know a wrestling panel down there. They had me a, they had a table set up where I could sell my stuff, and I got to walk around and kind of explore. I I, I pretty much I just wore you know my gear pretty much and passed it off as a gambit cosplay um and uh and my my girlfriend was with me actually and she she did a little rogue cosplay and we even won a costume a costume contest while we were there um nice and yeah the the panel that they had me on that the kid that did that spot is from louisiana he wrestles for a place called wildcat sports uh down there and um well i can't well i think his name was was it luke it might have been Luke Hall. No, I don't want to. I don't want to spit out a random name. That that could be wrong. But uh, um, okay, I think I've yeah, heard of him actually. Because it was Katie Forbes was with Wildcat. That's where she got her start. I think she talked about that quite. Yeah, a bit that's right. That's show. right. Um, yeah. So I just met him, and and if I was in his shoes, I'd have done the absolute same thing. I did a. I did a. <laughs> I did a spot that went viral sometime last year or maybe a year and a half ago or so. Uh, where I, I did, uh, I jumped off of a basketball hoop. Uh, I cleared quite a gap into the ring, and, <laughs> on, and I did a big cross body onto one guy that I was facing. Um, and uh, and and that that did its rounds and ended up on a ESPN little talk segment and stuff. So that was cool. Uh, for so I do understand where you're coming from, where you you know the theatrics and the story, and and that's what matters. That's what gets people invested. Yeah, but. You got. You also got to understand that we have guys to look up to, like Jeff Hardy, who we grew up watching do these absolutely ridiculous, death-defying stunts that totally captivated our minds. And uh, 
And that's something I always saw for myself. That's why the first thing I do when I walk into a building is think about the absolute most ridiculous thing I can do with my environment. <laughs> you know, but, but for me personally, I'm also on the other end of that spectrum where I, I come from a theater background with, and I appreciate the art of that. So if I can do both, that's, that's what I want to do. That's, that's, that's what I want my special touch to be. Well, that makes sense. When you look at the the elite wrestlers of all time, uh, you know the, everybody's got their little Mount Rushmore of wrestlers. But for the most part, the most elite successful wrestlers have been the ones who had an entertainment focus first and a wrestling move focus second. You, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, but but it, the ones who do both, like are, are like Jericho, uh, like Shawn Michaels. You know, those are the ones who really transcended the sport. So I guess that's where you view yourself going in the future, just in terms of being the best at all aspects. Absolutely. As a kid, um, I fell in love and was captivated by pro wrestling. So the only thing in my mind when I was that young was pro wrestling. That's all I could think about was being a pro wrestler. And then as you get older, you know, and your and your interests kind of expand. You know, you get into different things, and and that's when I I fell in love with other things like theater and, and, and just acting and, and the whole spectacle of, uh, of kind of being a public figure in so many different lights. Uh, the more I learned about that while also having that deep rooted love for pro wrestling, the more I kind of realized that you, everything can tie into wrestling. That's why wrestling is the greatest form of art of entertainment in my personal opinion that is, that is on this planet because, Everything can tie back into wrestling. Being a wrestler puts you in such a um, different kind of light when, when people are so curious as to what else you might be good at because pro wrestling is so crazy and weird that it's like, oh, my goodness, you're already this like odd person. What else you know, could you do? What else are you good at? So then it opens up a door. People want to see if you can perform on a stage or if you can be in a movie and, you know, and um, that – one of the things that people always, you know, haggle you about when you want to be a pro wrestler is, oh, what's your backup plan if you get hurt or if it doesn't work out? And uh, I'm one of those people that was always really against the idea of having a backup plan because I feel like that takes away your focus. If I want to be a pro wrestler, then that's what I'm going to be to my dying breath. I'm going to try it. Yeah. So, so I can't afford to put my focus somewhere else. That's that's wasted time in my opinion on what I could be focusing on. Um, but when I, like I said, when I when I saw those tie-ins to wrestling, I realized that I could put all my focus into the thing that I love most, and it'll give me backup plans in turn. Absolutely, we're seeing a lot of wrestlers now end up in the movies. Uh, you know, wrestling is scripted improv. Some people describe it as Cirque du Soleil with scripts. Uh, you know, however you want to describe it, it does provide or, or people emerge out of that that are super actors. Uh, let's let's go to your background a little bit. Then you mentioned Jeff Hardy as a guy that you idolized growing up. Uh, where did you grow up? So, because so, that'll tell us which show you were watching back then. I think. Or no, you're so young that you probably yeah. were when uh, all the shows had nationalized by then. Yeah, I was born in 1997. Oh. So, yeah. uh, my first real like solid memory of of pro wrestling came when I was about four years old. And uh, at that time, it was they were all just wrestlers to me, you know, and, and that was when I was four years old, it was 
what, 2001? 2001, yeah. Yeah, so like that WCW had already bought by that point, mm-hmm. right? You know, so. Um, so you were watching WWE probably at that point. Or yeah, the, or yeah, WCW but, or both. But but even when like no, but it was just re- like I, I didn't I couldn't really tell the difference then, and and by yeah. the time I could, it was you know documentaries by that point. It was it was wrestling history by that point. So really? it wasn't like oh. yeah. Um, so. Uh, so you knew you wanted to be a wrestler. I mean, like you were watching at four years old, saying, "I want to do this." Am I right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first thing I, the first thing I remember, like seeing that really like branded itself in my brain was Shawn Michaels coming off the top rope with an elbow, and I like lost my mind. I think it was Shawn Michaels versus Rob Van Dam um, on a 2001 episode, and uh, yeah, that was like. That was a huge moment for me, and those are two huge like, icons that that I grew up, uh, you know, idolizing. So, uh, yeah. Well, we've had RVD on the show here. He's just, you know, amazing. He's just yeah, an absolutely I'm, amazing I'm, performer. I'm in a locker room with him now, which is, you know, it's a, it's awesome. It feels right at home. It's it's what I imagined myself doing as a child, being in a locker room with guys like RVD. So, <laughs> does he uh, does he give you any advice in the locker room? Yeah, yeah, some, yeah. Sometimes, uh, I mean, like he, he's pretty busy in himself. We all have these, like you know, schedules that are pretty hectic. Um, but uh, you know, if he gets the chance to see something, he'll tell you that you know if he liked it or or what he liked about it. Um, I never answered your question where I grew up. That was out in uh, Pennsylvania, is where I grew up. I grew up in uh, small small Berks County, Pennsylvania, uh, middle of nowhere. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't really like wrestling wasn't super popular where I grew up. Like I was the I was the kid that got other kids into it. It wasn't like kids, you know, talked about it a lot in school or anything. Um but it was uh my my family was wrestling fans before me, so it was kind of uh the seeds were there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um so then you you knew so badly you wanted to do it that you applied to a wrestling school, I assume, but you must have been very very young when you did that. So I didn't know wrestling schools existed at first. Um, I wasn't really like a big internet kid when I was super young. Like, you know, the internet was obviously growing and, and getting very, you know, big at that time. But I wasn't – we only had one computer in my house and like the older kids got to use it more than me ever. And I was always more interested with hanging out – with going outside and being with my friends and skateboarding. Uh, how, many, how many kids did you have in the family? Oh, uh, five. Oh, wow. I had, uh, yeah, three, three older brothers and an older sister. I'm the, I'm the baby. Ah, okay. All right. All right. So you didn't even have the ability to, to go on the internet at that point and find a wrestling school. How did you get into the sport? Yeah. So as a kid, like I always imagined like, oh, I'm, I'm going to become a professional. Like, however, however you do, however a person does that, I'll figure it out. So that was just kind of my mindset always. I never really went into like looking it up. I was like, I always just really felt like when the time came, like it, I would be, uh, I would know what to do or I would figure it out. Um, so it wasn't until, uh, somewhere like later in middle, later in middle school, they had us look into like potential colleges like just for like an exercise in one of our classes it was like you know what what would you be maybe interested in after high school and what college could you go to for that 
you know, so it was, we were looking at like different parts of the world. Yeah. And, um, I thought the closest thing, I guess, I don't know why, but I guess for some reason I didn't bother looking up wrestling schools. Um, cause I just didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't, I didn't think that that existed. Sure. Um, yeah. So I looked up uh, stuntman colleges in like California that I was thinking about doing. I was like, if I, I told myself if I have to go to college, if I ever, you know, if that's something I have to do, I wasn't planning on it, but if I have to, I'll go to, I'll go to a stuntman college. Like, why not? That I'll learn how to fall. Like, that kind of makes sense. That seems like yeah. uh, it would be beneficial. And it would also tie into like movies, which I really always, you know, saw myself being in like an actor as well. So like I, I could have the best of both worlds with that maybe. Um, and then when I got into high school, uh, at the beginning of high school, my ninth grade year in one of my classes, we had to fill out this uh, sheet of paper that at the top you had to write what you wanted to do after high school, like what you wanted to be. And, um, then you would pick classes that were based around, so it was what was called a career cluster in my school. They called them career clusters. Hmm. So if, if what you wanted to do fell into a certain career cluster like math and sciences, arts and humanities, like these different, you know, clusters of stuff, then you would pick classes that were inside of that cluster so you could kind of get what you were looking for out of the high school, basically. Um, so I wrote professional wrestler at the top of the page and that obviously was not in a career <laughs> cluster of any right. kind. Yeah. Um, so when I filled out the sheet, I filled it out very kind of outside the box, like not really what they wanted out of that. And uh, they they called me in the counseling office and basically wanted me to change my answer. They're like, <laughs> uh, okay, well, is there something else you might want to do that could fit in a career cluster? And I was like, no, there isn't. Uh-huh. Pro wrestling is what I'm going to do. And and that's it. If you, if you can't offer me none of that, then I'll just take whatever classes I feel like taking. You know, <laughs> like why not? Yeah. And, um, and it, it ended up kind of working out like that. That was the first time I really had to like fight the power, you know, in, in any sense of the word, uh, by that time I wasn't really like a defiant kid by any means. Like I didn't, I wasn't trouble for no reason, but that was the first time where I really had to stand my ground and say no to, to people that were supposed to be in charge of me. Um, and, uh, I got my counselor on my side and she kind of went to bat with me and for me. Um, and, uh, so then by the time I got to my, let's see, 11th grade year, um, yeah, it was my 11th grade year. By the time I got, uh, I got there, I was, in, uh, I was in the musical that year. I had been working at Hot Topic since I got a job at Hot Topic when I was 14 years old. Um, I, I just managed to, you know, make that happen for myself, and it was uh, very beneficial. Um, and my boss was a big wrestling fan. He used to do, he used to be a backyard wrestler. Um, so, uh, so he was very supportive and we talked about wrestling all the time while I was at work with him. And, um, he, you know, was kind of like, he, he always helped me kind of put the dream together as I was growing up, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old. Um, and, uh, when I was around 16, yeah, when I was, when I was 16, uh, we had to start thinking about our senior projects, uh, to graduate high school. Um, and you have to do a project on some topic. You have to like interview people that are in that field. You have to have an on, you have to go to like a, an onsite visit and, and do like a day at work thing. Basically it was like all these requirements. It's and, um, 
This sounds like a good high school you were at. Like my high school, they didn't yeah. do anything for us for uh, our futures. Yeah. As a teenager, I mean, of course, I I didn't like it that much because I didn't I didn't like going to school. But right, but right. all things considered, it, it was very you know very versatile you know high school with with a lot to offer. Very focused uh, on preparing you for life after high school. It sounds like whereas oh, my yeah, they, high they, school was focused on preparing me how to do algebra questions. I think so. You win. That well, that was a well. It was the way that I played it, you know. Like mo- like a lot of kids took those classes, but I kind of kept myself more in the classes. Like uh, we had to, we had a graphic design program. It was an awesome graphic design program. There was a whole department down in one of the uh, wings of the school that had uh, screen printing presses and uh, all these great computers that were hooked up to these like machines. Uh, where you could learn how to basically do graphic production. Of, of, you could do like like pan, like brochures and and business cards and kind of like paper based stuff. And then you could also do screen printing, like I said, like silk screens and learn how to learn how to make screens, burn screens, print these shirts. So that was something that was super helpful. Uh, I, I printed shirts for guys that I was training with. Uh, when I first started, guys that were like on shows and needed merch, yep. I printed shirts for them. Um, and uh, so that was I, I took uh, I took TV production classes. We had a we had a TV studio nice. that would broadcast uh, to the to the school every day. They would do like the morning announcements, and then they would do something at the end of the day from the broadcast center in the school. Um, so I took classes that I learned I learned about broadcasting and producing and what you know whatever I and and I, anything that I thought would help me in some way with wrestling. I kind of like, I knew that and the school really didn't because they didn't have a concept of it, obviously. So it was yeah, like, right. when they let me take my classes, that that's what I did was, was kind of geared myself towards that. I took a lot of music classes too, just cause I, I loved music. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so to, to, in order to graduate, you had to do this big senior project on some kind of topic, uh, that you chose. Um, and I chose wrestling obviously. And, uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to do that, but when I started looking, uh, I found out about wrestling schools down in Florida. Um, so I had made plans to move to Florida to start, you know, wrestling school with the Wild Samoans oh, training okay. center yeah. down in Florida. Yeah, off of the Wild Samoan, right. uh, runs a center down there, and they have a great reputation, uh, the, the wild Samoans themselves, uh, of, of success stories. So, um, I had been saving up money and talking to my boss about that on a regular basis for like a while at that point. And, uh, then while I'm at rehearsal one day, uh, for, for the musical that year, my boss from hot topic calls me and he's like, Hey, uh, so I know, you know, we've been talking about the Florida thing. Um, but I just had somebody in here at the store today buying some like, you know, jewelry. And she said that she was training at the Wild Samoans in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, and uh, that they uh, had like a big show coming up in March. And I gave her your information, if that's cool. And I was like, yeah, that's absolutely cool. So this girl got a hold of me. I found out there was a Wild Samoan training center an hour and 15 minutes from where I lived in Allentown, Pennsylvania. It was um, meant to be. It was. It really was. So the pieces you know, fell into place. This was right around the time I had to start doing my senior project, like I said. So uh, as all this kind of came together, um, 
communication with that girl kind of became unreliable at, at, at some points. So I decided to just like call the, the training center directly and just see if I could get a hold of somebody that wasn't a student that was actually like in charge to, to make sure that the, this was going to happen for me. Yeah. Um, and Samu, uh, off son answered head shrinker, Samu, uh, he answered the phone directly. And that was like one of those, Oh, oh shit moments. You know, uh, <laughs> this is somebody that, uh, that I had seen, you know, cause like, as I got older, of course, I, I was I was I went back and watched older stuff, and and uh, you know this was somebody that I recognized, so uh, it was pretty cool. Um, and then I talked to him, and he and he confirmed everything. He said, you know, March first, two thousand fourteen, was the day of the event. He was like, just show up at uh, nine thirty a.m. at this address. We got to load the ring up and do all blah blah blah, and like you know, I'll have I'll have everybody put you through the motions and uh, and and show you what's up. Um, and then I asked him at the end of the phone call, uh, I said, what age do you start training? Yeah. Um, and he said, uh, 17 with parental consent. And, uh, like I said, I was 16 planning, uh, you know, starting to plan my, my senior project. So two birds with one stone because the day before March 1st, 2014, I turned 17. <laughs> my birthday was February 28th. Yeah. Uh, so I turned uh, 17 the day before. And then I showed up ready to do this project and ready to talk about training. I used the money that I saved up to move to Florida to just pay for my training for, well, for half of my training, like my upfront deposit. Um, and, uh, that got me in the door and, uh, I, I went so hard at it for the first, uh, like four months that they already had me doing like matches, but I wasn't old enough to be in front of a live audience yet. You had to be 18 in Pennsylvania to perform on a live show. So, uh, I just got an, an extra eight months, six to eight months of training, um, before I turned 18. And then, uh, it was off to the races. They debuted me. And, uh, by my 10th match, I was in, I was in the CZW developmental program out in New Jersey and CZW was still a pretty big deal at the time, um, especially on the East Coast. So uh, it just snowballed very quickly. I met the right people and I did the right things. And I've made I've made a lot of very huge career moves just by putting myself in the right place at the right time. Yeah, um, yeah, you're you're aggressive. Um, yeah, I want to ask you a little bit more about your early days. Uh, but first, I have to talk about, or I'm delighted to talk about, our sponsors of the show. All right, well, let's talk about Sex Panther. So as we tape this, we are in the middle of a pandemic that has caused everybody to basically be quarantined and locked down in their homes. This has caused a surge in the number of people who are out on the internet watching adult videos. In the old days, if this pandemic would have happened 20 years ago, you would be limited to just watching your favorite adult film stars. But nowadays, we have something better. We have something different. It's wonderful. It is called Sex Panther. That's S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. So what happens is when you see somebody, when you see an adult performer out there, when you're surfing the internet, uh, you can get to know her. You can actually get her phone number for free in most cases and start texting or sexting with her. You can send pictures. She can send pictures to you. You can send videos. For some people, this means that you're going to get adult clips and pictures. For other people, it's just about 
getting to know somebody that they saw on video and admire and, and think is a wonderful person. A lot of people have formed real life friendships with their adult, with their favorite adult film star via Sext Panther. So go to Sex Panther today and meet your favorite adult film star and start corresponding and talking and maybe even talk on the phone with her. You can do all that at sexpanther.com. And hey, if you are an adult film star, one of the many who listens to this show, you should be on Sex Panther. That's S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. It's your chance to build that relationship with your fans and get to know them and, and have everybody get to know each other. So there you go, everybody. Do check it out. That's SexPanther, SexPanther.com. All right, I also want to talk about another sponsor today who's not actually a sponsor. This is somebody who has no idea that I'm doing an advertisement for them, and I hope they don't get upset about this, but I really want the world to know about 3Square, 3Square.org. What they do is they buy food in bulk, and then they just go out to parking lots here in Las Vegas and hand out free meals to people who are in need. And there are so many people who are in need right now. People have been laid off from their jobs. People uh, who are, were in the gig economy. Maybe they were hairstylists or maybe they were uh, Uber drivers. And they just don't have the ability to do their job anymore, at least for the time being. And they've gotten themselves into dire situations. 3square.org is the most wonderful charity that I've found so far. I have been donating quite a bit to them. When you give them money, let me just give you this number here. When you click the donate button, and again, this website is 3-T-H-R-E-E-S-Q-A-R-E.org, $75 donation provides 225 meals to people. So let me say that again. A $75 donation provides 225 meals. So you don't have to give 70 You can give $50. You can give $25. You can give any amount that you want to. This is a great charity. Please take a look and consider donating some money to them uh, because we all have been there at times in our lives. I, I hope everyone who listens to this show is doing okay and making it through uh, this very difficult time. If you do live in Las Vegas and you are in need, go to 3square.org and find out where they're going to be handing out free meals. If you're somebody like myself that's doing okay during the pandemic and you have a little bit of extra money to spare, please consider giving it to 3square.org. Okay, so we've learned a lot about Ace Austin so far. We learned that he was a uh, he was a drama type guy in um, high school, whatever they call that these days, uh, a thespian who also had uh, aspirations of being a wrestler when growing up, uh, and he got right into it literally the day he turned seventeen. Hey, um, how what size were you at that point though? Because you're like five eight or so, but you have at this point. You have the legs of a 250 pounder, <laughs> like you yeah. huge muscular legs that it's easy to see how you do what you do. What size were you back then, though? So uh, back then, uh, I was just like a, a very miniature version of myself with with a lot less of the the bulk and definition. I would say, uh, like my legs were still always much bigger, and I think that has to do with the fact that. Like I said, I didn't spend too much time on, on video games and stuff when I was much younger. I spent all of my time – like I learned how to skateboard when I was really early. I, I started practicing parkour when I was very young and just like – I was always on my feet and I was always running around and uh, and, I, and I think that that had a lot to do with it. Um, but uh, I was under five foot until 
my 10th grade year. Uh, I was like, I was always much shorter than everyone else. Uh, I actually had to go and get some tests done at one point to see if I would need growth hormones because they were afraid that my like growth plates weren't you know, moving correctly or growing correctly or whatever. Same um, here. Same here. I went through all of that growing up. I was yeah, so, shorter than the other uh, kids. Eventually they took me to a doctor for those, those growth hormone tests, whatever. Uh, and I had to convince myself in my mind that being shorter was never going to be a detriment for me, that it was never going to stop me. So I assume you had the same thoughts. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then I always managed to, I had a bigger personality, so people didn't really, you know, pay much mind to, you know, my height. Uh, in some cases, of course, you know, there always was the kids that wanted to be difficult, but, uh, I did, you know, the, the, I did manage to, to make it past a lot of things despite that. Um, and it even gave me a little niche in theater. Actually, uh, when I started doing theater, my, my big personality set me up for, they would give me these roles of these, like, they would give me these roles that would typically be fit for someone who would be physically intimidating, but they would give them to me because I was much smaller than everybody else. But I carried myself with this confidence that uh, it portrayed a really funny character always. Um, like uh, my the first musical I was ever in was uh, this show about like it was like a, a show about like Woodstock basically. It was called Groovy, um, and uh, I was like this big bad security guard guy that wore this leather jacket and this bandana. And like was, you know, uh, so, so that added a funny element to the show. Uh, I did guys and dolls and I was a uh, big Julie who was this like big, uh, this, this gambling guy from Chicago who like bullied himself into winning, you know, these games all the time to trying to finagle money out of people cause he was intimidating. Um, so that really, uh, you know, in, in retrospect was actually kind of helped out, uh, for, creating a charisma and a personality because you need that to to con well you don't need it but it was very helpful to compensate yeah, you get that confidence like you know what uh has always stuck in my mind was as i was growing up i remember i think it was rocky 2 came out or rocky 3 and and uh one of the lines from the movie they go boy rocky's in great shape he looks like a middleweight which is really funny. Uh, at the time, I didn't understand it, the irony of the statement, but he was uh, not even a middleweight. He was like 140 pounds. But in the movie, they portrayed him as this humongous, big heavyweight uh, boxer, and he carried it off because he, 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 he was a method actor. He believed he was that character. And, yeah. and it just it showed me when at that point or at some point in life that – you are who you who you decide to be. Yeah, a hundred percent. All right, so you got into the the CCW. I think you said was your first organization. You were yeah, eighteen CCW, when you were doing matches. Combat Zone, yeah. Okay. Oh, CCZ. Um, you said Combat Zone. Yeah, CCZ. Yeah. CCW Combat Zone Wrestling. All right. How long did uh, it take you to become champion of that organization? Uh, I actually, I never ended up winning a championship for them until. I like left the East Coast when I when I moved out to Ohio, uh, like three and a half years in or so, something like that. Uh, when I moved out to Ohio and I was doing Rockstar Pro out here, uh, there was there ended up being some little overlap, and uh, CZW put one of their championships on me, but uh, very briefly. Uh, <laughs> um, 
I don't want to bring in, you know, booking questions and booking into question or anything like that. But uh, it was very silly how all that played out. I I think uh, there was definitely some dropping of the ball on the potential that they had uh, while I was there. if I if I can if if I must say that about myself now, um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was actually I can grab my little book here and uh, tell you right now. I have all my all my matches written down in this little book here. Oh so, wow! Okay. Yeah. When I debuted, it was April fourth, two thousand fifteen. Uh, so I debuted in, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, with the Wild Samoans under their uh, the company WXWC four. Um, and then I had only two more matches on live shows across the, uh, the next, what, let's see, April over the next like four months. Uh, I was only on like two of the four shows that they did. And then by my fourth match, I was already like jumping in a car with a group of guys to go to Pittsburgh to be on this, this other show. So they gave me an opportunity. They liked me. And then they continued to bring me back. Um, and then let's see. Yeah. So it was like, like this is the problem with wrestling, uh, being, you know, uh, um, predetermined is you've basically got eight guys in the entire industry who are making all the booking decisions. And yeah. Brilliant guys. I mean, I'm really glad you got hooked up with Don Callis and I want to hear that story. But I mean, you know, some of the other organizations, you go, what the fuck? What kind of booking decisions are they making here? You know, I, I won't watch WWE. I won't be, uh, because of like I was a subscriber and everything. And then like a year or two ago, they had this night where uh, um, Roman Reigns announced he had cancer and he broke character to do it. And then his buddies from the shield came out and they were crying and they also broke character to do it. And it was really one of the more beautiful, wonderful, emotional moments of all time. And then they decided to have for no reason, uh, um, Moxley turn heel and hit the yeah. other guy with the chair. And I was like, what? I give up. You guys don't understand that, you know, the emotional strings that you've pulled and the story that you're telling when you, when you do that to us, uh, and the danger that you have of turning off your entire audience if you're just not paying attention to your fans. So sorry, that that actually was not a digression. That was just a rant on my part. No, uh, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So let me compare it. Let me let me compare it a little bit to to this. Have Have you watched the Tiger King documentary yet? No. Everybody else in the world has. I'm the last oh, one. It it is spectacular. Yeah. So the reason I bring that up is because. As you watch this Tiger King documentary, you start to like really – it just – it blows your mind how little regulated the, the industry of, of, of tigers and lions and these exotic animals really like is. Yeah. Like how little people really know about it and, and how easy it is for, for people like Joe Exotic to take advantage <laughs> of this system of big cats yeah. to – create this aura about himself, you know? So the reason I compare that to pro wrestling is because pro wrestling is such this like known thing, like in the world, but so few people know about the inner workings because it is like, like the, the, the regulations and the rules are so skewed and it's such a big gray area that navigating through it isn't something you can just go to school and figure out. Training schools don't prepare you for 
the entire world of professional wrestling. They don't. They teach you how to take the bumps, how to do some of the moves, and uh, and if you're lucky, they teach you about some etiquette and some mindset stuff. You know that that that's what I love so much about my baseline training from the Wild Samoans is they. The the thing about the Wild Samoans is they train you with the WWE in mind, pretty much. Yeah, you are trained with the idea that. You stick with you stick under the Samoan banner with the Samoan family, and one day an opportunity will come along. And if you are ready and you are good enough at that time, you'll get picked up because yeah. you got the Samoans label on you. Yeah. And while that's great, that's a huge waiting game. And oh, that yeah. was never my thing. That's the only that that's the only like uh, separation that I really ended up having. I mean, it, not in a negative way at all with the Samoans that I decided that when I ended up at combat zone out, out on the East coast in New Jersey is when I met guys that were making names for themselves across the world and doing these, these huge things that seemed so underground, uh, to me because I had no concept of independent wrestling before I showed up at the Samoans. I, I only grew up knowing what like WWE was. And I, right. and I knew nothing about the idea that, all these people were traveling the world and, and wrestling for these companies that held shows that had thousands of people at them that weren't WWE. Yeah. Um, so when I figured all that out is kind of when like I I eventually had to I eventually came to a crossroads where I had to decide if I wanted to just stay with the Samoans under the Samoan umbrella until that day came, and I had zero doubt in my mind that when that day came, the WWE would pick me up. I, I knew that it would be not a problem for me to do that. But there was so much more to learn. Yeah. No, and, and, and like right now, what we're seeing is the WWE is, I mean, you'll have a tough choice to make when your impact contract expires because undoubtedly they're going to want to sign you. But right now they're taking – Everybody that they possibly get, can get to prevent them from going to AEW, and so many of these guys get buried. Yeah, it's like which it's, do you want? Yeah, do you want the money or do you want the chance to actually be seen? Yeah, that's that, that's kind of where you have to. That's where guys with like families have to make that decision. You know, do you, do you need to do you need do you want to provide for your family and like still live out your dream of being a pro wrestler in, to some degree, or do you want to like? really have that that special story that that you've always uh, that you've always dreamed about um of doing it kind of on, on a different path like on your own um and there's just so many variables that uh that's that's uh so so like I was say, like I was saying about my training it gave me such a good baseline like this is this is the foundation of the industry that you're in this is the foundation of, of etiquette, of like, of performance, of of how you carry yourself and how you introduce yourself, and and just I got all these these great baseline things that are important everywhere. Yeah. And then when um, when I was able to take a step away from the Samoans and start exploring this world of independent wrestling, I had such a good baseline training that I was always able to make the best possible impression everywhere that I went. And then by doing that, it opened up so many more doors of the things that I wanted to learn, of the things that I had never known about my whole life. My whole life I watched WWE. I knew the history and I knew so much about WWE, but I didn't know anything about all this other stuff. And I had to decide like, is my passion, is my love 
is it WWE or is it pro wrestling? Because there's a difference. Yes, absolutely. Um, going so, to Impact Wrestling, uh, I went. You know, when you guys were in town last time, it was my first time actually getting to go backstage. And I understand what you mean. There's there's like a whole hierarchy of where people stand and and etiquette and and who gets to be in the private locker areas and who isn't and it's crazy stuff. So let me ask you about impact then. Um, so how did you get into impact so young? Uh, so that ended up, um, uh, let, let me, let me see if I, let me, let me go back to the timeline in my head now, now that I'm thinking about it. Sure. Um, so yeah, so, so I started exploring the independence I bounced around all over the East Coast for like a – I never liked to stay in the same the same spot for more than like a year and a half. That was kind of my, my max mm-hmm. on where I could stay. Yeah. So I spent like a year of training at the Samoans and then another year and a half of like sticking with the Samoans hardcore. And uh, But while I was doing that – so I was driving an hour and 15 minutes twice a week to training for the Samoans every week. And then on Wednesdays in between those two training sessions, I would drive two and a half hours to New Jersey – to be part of that combat zone development program. Um, and, uh, I was just, you know, getting the best of both that I could and just whatever, whatever. And then, uh, I got really close with a guy named David Starr. I don't know if you've ever heard or, or seen anything of him. Um, no, yeah, I got close with this guy, David Starr, and, uh, he was doing really well for himself at the time, making it all over the independence, uh, on the East coast. And he started getting opportunities overseas, uh, with the UK and all that, um, in Germany and whatnot. Um, and he, uh, he was he had he, he was in with CZW at the time, which is how I met him when I was doing the development stuff. And he asked a group of the students of the younger guys like me uh, if they were interested in taking a trip uh, with him to um, where uh, uh, Missouri. That's where it was. I was going to say Mississippi, uh, Missouri, um, for Harley Harley Race has a wrestling school out there. Uh, I mean, he's he's passed now, but um, yeah, had, had a wrestling school out there. Uh, and he every year they did this. They they do a one week long training camp at the Harley Race Wrestling School, where representatives from you know all these television these large the large companies that you want to be in uh, representatives come and and view you there. And uh, they run training and they and they teach you different things. And then they have you do tryout matches and stuff. Um, and David Starr was planning on doing this, and he asked all the students, uh, if you'd like to come along, you just got to pitch in for some gas money. And uh, the fee is like, uh, I think it was 500 bucks to go uh, for the week. And uh, yeah. um, nobody responded to him <laughs> except for me. I, I was saving up money to go on a cruise with my best friend and his family. I'd gone on a cruise with them the year prior. Uh, and it was awesome. Best form of vacation you can take, in my opinion, is a cruise. There's nothing else like it. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I loved the cruise so much, and I was saving up money to go on this cruise again that year. But here was one of those crossroads, those choices I had to make. So I sacrificed that money to go to this camp, and it was the best decision I could have possibly made because I went to that camp with David Starr. It was just me and him for 13 hours to Missouri, stayed there for a week, came back. And, uh, at the end of the trip, he said to me, uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm really like, you know, proud of, uh, of, of how you carried yourself and what you did this week and everything. And he said, if you ever want to tag along with me to, to anything, just let me know. And you're like, you got a spot in my car always. Nice. And, uh, 
that opened up. I, I, I told him, I was like, you know, make, make sure you know what you're telling me right now. There's a can of worms that, you, that you're opening up here. Because I, get tired of it. <laughs> I asked him about every single open weekend I had. And, and at the time, that was, that was you know, pretty frequent. I had the Samoans once every month. And then I had the CZW show once every month. And those were pretty much my only guaranteed bookings. And, and a few Pennsylvania places that would book me regularly every month. Um, but uh, so I told him, I was like, yeah, I'm, here we go. So I, I, every weekend I had open, I, I talked to him. And that's how I got my name around the, the, all over the East Coast at that time was by traveling with him. And my face would show up at all these different places. And people were like, oh, I'm, I, weren't you just in you know, North Carolina like the, the night before? And I was like, yeah, that's where I was with David Starr. And then now I'm somewhere else you know, on my own or with a different group of people. And um, it, uh, it, that, that's, uh, that's definitely one of the most um, common things people said about me in my early goings is that I, I was really, my face was always, always around. And when I would, when, when I would finally get those opportunities with those companies, like, okay, we'll throw you in a match tonight. I would show out always, because when you hit the curtain, that's your time. Like you can be humble and respectful and you can follow the etiquette when you're in the locker room and when you're new somewhere. But when you hit the curtain, all bets are off. Like that's your time to do your thing. There's, there's no more being humble and, and not, you know, and, and playing, playing a soft game when you are out there. Yeah. You have to go as hard as you can. And that's you got to put yourself did. over. I mean, it's up to you in this industry for sure. Yeah. So, so now I'm rambling a little bit, but, uh, going from that, uh, it, so I did that for like another year and a half. I, I did the tour of the East coast as much as I could everywhere. And then, um, David Starr started spending more time uh, in the UK and in Germany because he was finding a lot of success out there. Uh, and I had started he I had started going out once a month with him to Ohio to do this Rockstar Pro show with uh, all, with all of OVE with Dave and Jake Christ and Sammy Callahan and all these guys. Um, and uh, Sammy was somebody I had met a few times with David Starr and they were friends. So Sammy kind of. You know, he would remember me and he would – that sparked a relationship there with some with, with somebody like Sammy Callahan. It's a very good thing. Um, and uh, so I would go with David Starr once a month for a week out to the Midwest to do Rockstar Pro, IWA Mid-South, and then usually like AAW or some other big, you know, bigger indie that was happening out in the Midwest. And uh, now, my, now my name's getting sprinkled in a totally different region. And then I did that for like a, a solid year uh, every month with him. And then he ended up not going out there for – there came a month where he he had a booking uh, over in Germany and he wasn't going to be able to do the Midwest loop that we usually did. So I reached out to all of the places that, I, that we had been going to every month and I said, hey, I know David Starr is not going to be making it this month, but I would still really like to come out if you'll have me. Hmm. Yeah. And they said, you know, absolutely. So I came out still every month on my own after that if I had to. Um, and that was pretty often for a while. I had to do this by my – I had to do the eight-and-a-half-hour drive by myself from Pennsylvania uh, out to Ohio yeah. every uh, every month. And then I'd stay for a week in Dave Christ's house because uh, he had – you know, he had this big wrestle house with a bunch of kids living in it that wanted to be wrestlers and were training with Dave. Um and uh, it was such a spectacle to me, this idea that like all these people from different parts of the world were just living in this roof trying to make it uh, with wrestling. And 
So that was something that, um, you know, kept pulling me back in, kept pulling me back in. And then after doing that for a while, Dave offered me a spot in the house mm-hmm. and uh, I called back home to Pennsylvania and I said, I think this is, uh, I think this is what I have to do. I think it's time for me to, you know, move away from the East coast and try to experience a different region of, of professional wrestling. I think this is going to be good. For, this is going to be good for me. There's no who way else was in that house that ended up becoming uh, a pretty well-known wrestler. Trey Miguel, mm-hmm. Zach Wentz, Desmond Xavier, all of the rascals were living in the house. Uh, I think it was like September when I officially moved out. Yeah, it was, it was September of that year. I think it was 2018 or 17. Yeah, it was September 2017. That So I moved out to Dave's house. I finally made the decision to do that. I told all my friends back home, like, hey, it's time for me to, you know, to fly the coop. Um, and uh, I did it. And there was like 13 of us living in the house for a while. Uh, that That's the maximum amount of people that were under that roof at one time wow. was like 13 people. Wow. Uh, How big was this house? Not super big. There was only one bathroom. Oh, wow. Um, so, uh, you know, we made it work. It was, it was pretty cool. There was a gym in the basement, which was really awesome. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I did that. I tried. It's I like one of those Hollywood stories though, where you go, you know, the, an actor will talk about, uh, yeah, back in the day it was me and Lisa Kudrow and all these other people living in this house. And then everybody ended up uh, becoming famous in one way or another. Yeah. And going different directions. Um, so while I was living there is when OVE, got their got got signed they they first started with impact wrestling they got that opportunity uh dave and jake um started working with uh with impact uh and then as time progressed like that's when sammy ended up moving back to ohio he was still living in florida from his time with nxt um so that's when sammy callahan moved back to uh, ohio and uh i had already built a relationship with him you know through that combat zone and david star connection out on the east coast um because sammy was getting around everywhere uh at that time and and, uh, and i mean he still is a he just is he gets to be a lot more selective now than than uh, but back then he was just doing everything everywhere and um we uh when sammy moved back out here it it grew into this whole thing because then then he uh joined impact and just all this stuff blew up for for the Ohio crew, and uh, Impact started coming to Ohio to film stuff with OVE. So us guys that were like living in the house and doing the Rockstar Pro every week um, that we that we did a show we do, we had a show in Ohio that ran every week. It was Rockstar Pro, um, and uh, they came there to film stuff and. You know, there were a couple of us that made good impressions and just it, it always goes back to that foundation that I have. I, I, I'm able to make these good impressions on these important people. And then when these opportunities come up, uh, I, I'm always good at putting myself in the right place at the right time. I get in the cars and I'm there so that when it's time for, hey, we need to pick somebody to do something, I'm there to be picked. And um, uh, so then, yeah, so that, that started the relationship with Impact. Uh, Impact would do – they do the joint shows um, with, with companies like Destiny Wrestling up in Canada and like uh, – and all these places. So I would go up to Canada with the Ohio car. Anytime the, 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 Ohio, the Ohio people would have – would drive to a show, they wouldn't fly to an Impact show. Whenever they would drive, I would get in those cars so that I could do a pre-show match or like you know any kind of thing that they could throw me in. 
and I made good impressions on, you know, Scott and Don and these guys. And, um, then, uh, that was, yeah. So, so going through 2018 was a, 2018 was a, was a very bang, bang up year for me. Um, because I did, I got the impact opportunities early on and then MLW was interested in me. So I started doing their television program, uh, pretty regularly. Um, love their show. Great stuff. And then, uh, and then the call came one day, here we go again, back to my roots, my Samoan roots. I got a call one day from this guy that I had known since the very beginning of my career, my fourth match ever. I was in like a six man tag and he was, uh, on my, on my team. No. Yeah. yeah, He was on my team. Um, his name was Nick Nero. Uh, he was, he was down in Florida with the wild Samoans down there. Um, so he would come up to Pennsylvania to, to do the Samoan show sometimes. And that's how we had met each other and knew each other. Um, so years later, here we are now, I'm living in Ohio completely. I haven't talked to this guy in a while. And he calls me up one day and he says, Hey, uh, WWE is coming to, uh, Columbus and Columbus, Ohio and, um, Evansville, Indiana. And, um, I was like, uh, okay. Yeah. And he said, uh, I'm going to be doing extra work. If you're interested, um, Afa, I told Afa that you live in the Midwest and everything, and Afa remembers me. So he's, you know, he they extended the offer. If you want to do extra work, you know, the door's open. So I was like, yeah, absolutely, okay, why not? I can't say no to that, absolutely. So we did those two days of extra work. We got a tryout match. I did did the damn impression thing again. And uh, they, they threw me on 205 Live. I did great. And there was some interest there from, from the WWE. And then um, that – all that was happening all at once, you know. And then Impact was the first one to throw out like a, a really good-looking, beneficial that, like offer that, that, I, that, that could really – that I could super benefit from. I know that I have nothing but time on my side right now. 23 years old. I just turned 23 years old. You know, if, if I would have gone right into the WWE system, WWE system in 2018, like who knows, they, they, it could have eaten me alive, could possibly have. Awesome. So, They've done it to a lot of people. So there was just so many things. And, and it goes back to that idea that, that when I was training with the Samoans, it was that decision I made. Am I, am I interested in WWE or experiencing professional wrestling for what it truly can be? Yeah. Um, and one of the things that really helped that decision, now that I'm thinking about it, I did a tryout for Evolve uh, in Maryland, and William Regal was present for the tryout, and uh, and he watched all the matches and gave us all feedback afterward. And I did this uh, did this tryout the night before this tryout. I I partially separated my AC joint in my shoulder, so my arm was almost immobile. And it was the most painful experience I've ever had to go through because I had to pretend like nothing was wrong so that I could be part of this tryout still. Um, and, uh, you know, I pulled it together and had a fairly good match. And then afterward, Regal was talking to all of us. And uh, he talked about his time, you know, before he ended up with WWF, then WWE now, obviously. Um, uh, talked about his time before that and how, like, like how special the experience a professional wrestling can be. And he said the WWE is kind of, you know, it, it's, it's, it really is considered the be all end all. It, it's, it's where you go at the top. So 
experience everything you can before you get there. There's yeah. so much yeah. to learn sense. and to do before you get there. And the more I heard Regal talk about this, the more I was like, yeah, like I, I'm this far already. It took me five years to become X Division champion and, and get a main event spot on a television program every week. I, I know I have what it takes to get to the top, whatever the top is considered and whatever that may be when I'm ready to, yeah. to, go, to go further. I know I already know that I'm capable of that. So now it's just a, a process for me of uh, of, of the experience. I, I want to have the best experience I can in, in as many of the places as I can go. I wanna I wanna know what this life can offer from all different parts of the world. Really, uh, you mentioned going on two hundred five live. I, were you the one that told me the story about uh, uh, selling an injury during your tryout and then having Samoa Joe get all excited about it, or was that somebody else that told me that? Yep, yeah, that was me. That was me. Nobody we did our we did our tryout match, and I I faked a little. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, I got hit in the arm and now my arm hurts. It was like I did something and accidentally tweaked my wrist when I was doing a move, and now my arm hurts a little bit. And then my opponent took advantage of that later in the match, and it told this, it put together this whole story that that made the people that were that were around at the time when I did that trial match it made them pay attention because they thought that I hurt myself, and um, lo and behold, it was part of the story. So that that's what really you know got me over in that setting. Um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, a. <laughs> I love it. It's a storytelling. I mean, to me, this is why I watch wrestling. It's for storytelling. I don't watch necessarily for the big high spots. I want to to you know see the whole thing play out. Uh, fantastic. So let's talk about your character and your ability to tell stories. Uh, I think it's just amazing what you've done in your time at Impact so far. Uh, just in terms of when you play your heel character. You are as slimy and as just weaselly as anybody in the business, and I mean that as a huge compliment. Uh, uh, so tell me if it's not a compliment. Uh, but no, you do that so well, and 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 let's just talk about the whole story of uh, of um, of Ace Austin. What is your uh, tagline on the T-shirt? Uh, Three sixteen. I banged your mom. <laughs> Wife was. <laughs> Wife was the T-shirt. Mom I banged your wife. T-shirt. I banged your but, wife. Because uh, I'm involved in this story. This is my right. intro to wrestling here. So, all right, explain to everybody about your your whole "I banged your wife" uh, character. Yeah. So, um, I before getting to Impact was I, I did not have much experience being a bad guy in professional wrestling. Um, uh, so coming to Impact and having them. Um, want me to do this heel role was uh it's it is still to this day a complete learning process to me for, for me you started in uh doing this this role somehow they came up with the idea of having you sneak your way into other wrestlers confidences and then and then uh cheat on their or, or seduce their wives oh yeah okay yeah, yeah that's what we were talking about how did the the how did the bang your wife come about yeah um so uh my first uh well, my first like feud was with Petey Williams uh, coming in, and then when I got from when I went from there, my first uh, my first like like building feud that they kind of it wasn't just like a series of matches; it was like a story that they that I was involved in was with getting to work with Eddie Edwards um, and um, taking advantage of his like me- the, the the mental instability of his character. 
Um, and I had to have a different, you know, method of, I, I couldn't just show up and be like, Oh, I'm a big bad guy and I'm going to, you know, beat you up because like, where's the interest in that? You know, there, there has yeah. to be a dynamic to something. Right. So we took advantage of the fact that I am very young and in great shape and, uh, and, you have a lot going for me. So, um, a good looking guy. I'll say it for you. You're, yeah. You're, you're good and, uh, and, uh, yeah. So, so, so that kind of easily led to a dynamic of like, in my head, I can have absolutely any woman that I want. And even if I can't, it's going to get, a, they always say that, uh, that behind every great man is a great woman. And behind every great man's great woman is a Austin. <laughs> getting ready to steal her from you absolutely <laughs> so uh one of the things that's very memorable is that you were one of the nights i was there you were attacked by two girls coming into the ring who were so infatuated with you that they wanted to make out with you yeah <laughs> <laughs> that went kind of viral yeah yeah a little bit that was uh that was cool that was um yeah that was a big uh that was a big part uh, of the of the of the lead into that for sure um and, and then it led to uh this great thing that i took part in where you uh, is so if you're new to the show if you just tuned in to listen to ace so i am actually an adult film director in my real life uh you know and so we filmed a vignette where ace ended up in a uh, adult film role oh yeah uh so uh, let's see. This was leading, uh, like at the time you're doing all these backstage things of you seducing Eddie Edwards wife where you're telling her, you know, like, boy, Eddie, he doesn't really care about you. Does he? He doesn't spend much time with you. Like, I don't yeah. know if it's just me that noticed this, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I was, uh, toying around with Eddie's wife, trying to get in Eddie's head and, 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 um, ultimately to defeat Eddie. Um, which uh, and then going from there, uh, I had a big match coming up for Bound for Glory. Uh, after Bound for Glory uh, or during Bound for Glory, I won the X Division Championship in a five-way ladder match. Uh, going off of the big X Division Championship win, my popularity sparks. Uh, people have more interest in me for various projects, and one of the projects <laughs> that interested that interested me, uh, a, a 22-year-old young man who's. Uh, you know, doing, getting into the business of fame and whatever, you know, the, the whole idea behind it, um, gets, uh, get, gets, gets contacted about doing, uh, doing a little film, little film work. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Ace Austin, you know, decides that the role is good enough for him, um, and joins this adult film with you in, uh, in, in Las Vegas. Yeah. And, um, two porn stars. Yeah. Uh, Kendra Cole and Leah Falcon. So if you guys are want to look this up, I'll, I'll put a tweet on the uh, MAM Podcast One Twitter when this uh, when this podcast comes out. So you guys can go back and look and watch this little sequence. When, I, when was that now? That was uh, October? Uh, uh, yeah, probably. I, I completely have lost track of my life. So I don't – I guess it was – yeah. Sometime yeah, late last October year. Because yeah. October was That's when right. Bound for Glory was, so that had to yeah. be, uh, yeah, that had to be October of uh, last year. Now. That's right. So that was my pro wrestling debut. Is that I was the director on the set with uh, uh, with Ace, 
uh, putting together this film and and explaining to the audience how great of an actor he was and how we had so many yeah. good future plans. Wife uh, swappers, right? That's what it was called. <laughs> I think it's what we, that's what Don called it. I had a different name yeah. for it written on the uh, the clacker. But that was a really fun thing to do. It, it's it's so great for somebody like me who's been a wrestling fan all his life to be able to just get involved in some small ways here and there. Uh, and I've I've really been lucky, you know, to do some cool stuff with Impact Wrestling. Um, so that whole thing ended up pretty good. But from that point, so you won the X Division, I think. Right? No, that that was right before you won the X Division. Uh, excuse me, right after. We, yeah, we filmed yeah. that segment technically. Yeah, so the idea the idea was that I won the X division title, and then yeah. and now I'm now now I'm 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 a bigger star, and and I have these uh, these these um, offers coming in, and these deals, and and all these things, and my fame is growing, and my fortune is growing, and et cetera, et cetera. That's that was the whole. So in the meantime, you've gone on to almost seduce Eddie Edwards' wife, but in the end, that one comes to a close without you culminating the deal. So and then you turn your ass the kendo stick. <laughs> that, that, that's how that ended. <laughs> right. So then you turn your attention to a wrestler's mom, which well, I thought was hilarious. So, no, see, Trey Miguel turned his interests to my X Division championship. Yes. So, like I said, behind every great man, they say there's a great woman. Yeah. Trey and his mom. Very so that, that was the, that was that was the dynamic that Ace Austin saw, and uh, you know. <laughs> Being the being the person that he is, uh, needed to exploit something to uh, to uh, get into Trey's head, and uh, he saw that opportunity with Trey's mom. And um, yeah, then that was a whole that was a that was a, a couple of months, yeah, leading into Hard to Kill, which was our uh, pay per view in Atlanta a few months ago. And uh, yeah, Trey's emotions got the best of him, and Ace Austin remained champion. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen you seduce ten more, uh, ten more wives, but that's not the direction that they seem to be going with the character. And, and I guess it's though probably helpful because now I think you're sort of inching closer to main event type stuff, right? Like, wh- where are you going with this? Uh, well, yeah, uh, after after that angle with Trey. Um, I ended up in a little feud with Tessa, um, who is a woman herself and was the world champion, uh, or, or is the world champion, I should say. Um, and um, I uh, had to <laughs> to work a totally different dynamic uh, in, in with the idea of wrestling a woman herself uh, who is as formidable as Tessa is. Um, so that threw me right into the main event scene because her being the world champion and and me being the X division champion that's a big uh, big clash of of you know prestigious ideas and and characters and uh, and titles and so we uh, we had a few matches you know a few like tag team matches and main event matches for TV and then we main evented uh, the sacrifice uh, impact plus special uh, in Kentucky uh, we had a great match and then. Um, yeah, and then uh, well, what do you do differently when you're wrestling a woman than you do with a man? Yeah, I guess it depends on who you're wrestling. Like when it comes to Tessa, like you can't you can't underestimate somebody like Tessa. Yeah. So uh, you kind of gotta if Tessa wants to wrestle me, then I can't treat her any different than I would treat Trey wrestling Trey. You know, if if I want to win, 
is it is it does it actually sort of overcompensate at times you know like when you're wrestling trey trey can hit you lightly and nobody's going to complain about it but it with her like is she really laying it in because she has to show that she's tougher oh, as yeah. a woman yeah yeah that, that that dynamic especially like the the story the, the story with tessa leading leading into her becoming world champion um you know, she had to step it up in a huge way and she has to throw everything with that with an extra oomph so people, you know, can't say, oh, that that's that's good for a girl. You know, that that was the whole uh, the whole mindset behind all that is like, you know, you can't just say, oh, OK, she 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 wrestles. She wrestles good, you know, for a girl. Right. She just she wrestles good as a performer, as a, as a professional wrestler. She does a, a good job is is. That is what that means. She does. She's very credible as a female. If like if Alexa Bliss won the world championship over there, uh, or Scarlett Bordeaux, it, it wouldn't really work all that well. You'd have to have her basically, you know, having a manager spray perfume into somebody's eyes for each win for her. But Tessa is convincing. I mean, I think it's it's legitimate that she could win some some fights. So she's, you know, I think she's done great with that. I'm excited about your future. Uh, you know, we had Chris Bay on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, oh, yeah. I can only imagine a match between you two. I mean, I think the two of you guys are going to be the top of the sport regardless of like five years from now, we're going to look back and go like, Oh, look at that. Yeah. Those two guys on your show five years ago, right, right around the same time that they're two of them that are dominating the sport. Yeah. And that, that, that's kind of what it always becomes. You know, it's like, you know, it's almost like uh, no, no matter how much you try, you never know. You never really know like what what you have in your lap until until it's you know until until it's in retrospect until until you till the future happens and and it either goes good or goes terribly bad. You know. Yeah. Well, we've we've sort of run past the normal amount of time for the show um, because you're fascinating. Yeah, you've got a lot to say. I could ask you another hour's worth of questions. Let me just sort yeah, of. I don't uh, do these very often either, so it's like whenever I talk, I got a lot to talk about. Uh, yeah, well, and I'm glad you do. Uh, sometimes I get guests on that I have to sort of extract their story out of, you know. But yours is a great story. It's somebody who uh, undersized and underdog in some ways, uh, confident, knew what he wanted to do in life, was told he couldn't do it a few times, charged forward and did it. And, you know, and now at age 23 is, uh, is probably the most successful 23-year-old in the business today with an incredibly bright future. Let's talk about your personal life a little bit here. Uh, everybody that's listening, we have a lot of female listeners to the show. Uh, do you have a girlfriend in, in, outside the business or inside the business? What's your personal life like? I do indeed. Uh, okay, um, now is she a wrestler too, or no? Yes. Yeah, so she uh, started training with George South this this past uh, summer, and um, and then she goes to the Un- University of Alabama. So then she ended up down with Mike Jackson, uh, working with him, and uh, you know now now she's now she's got connections uh, in the Midwest as well, and uh, she's doing really well for herself. Um, what is her name? Because I, I think I saw her – you retweeting some of her stuff on Twitter the other day. Yeah, so her, her name is Glam, quite literally. Those are her initials, Glam. Uh, ah, Georgia, 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 okay. Georgia Leanne Milton. Yes, following her now. She yep. is stunningly beautiful. 
She is. Uh, yeah. So what do you like to do together with her? Like, do you guys, um, you still play a lot of video games? I think you said you were in a gaming household these days. Yeah, um, uh, she <laughs> she doesn't pick up video games very much. She's not uh, not not too into them. Um, she it, she was an athlete all through school, uh, so so she's got the athletic background. She did she played lots of sports. Her dad's a big football coach uh, from Mississippi, um, and uh, we like to watch. We 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 have pretty similar interests as far as like a lot of different movies and stuff goes. So we like to. Well, watch movies together. We we like to travel a lot. We've um, our relationship started long distance in the first place. Her going to the University of Alabama and me living in Ohio. So we had to make long distance work for a long, long time. And um, that, best. yeah, and and that that kind of created this like. Anytime we got to we got an opportunity to see each other, it was it, we we tried to make it in as intersecting as possible with like whatever she had going on and whatever, whenever I had like open weekends, I would try to find bookings that were down in her area or where she was going to be so that we could cross paths. And, uh, she's You know, she's gone to plenty of shows with me and, um, we've gotten to hang out in some awesome places all, all across the, the United States so far. And, uh, you know, do some cool things. We got to hang out at these, some beaches up in Rhode Island and stuff. And, uh, we went to Nashville and spent some time together. Um, and, you're you're uh, straight edge, right? Like you don't drink or smoke or anything. Is that right? Me? Yeah. No. No. I made no, that no, up. No. I must have made yeah. that up. <laughs> straight edge. No, 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 definitely not. Oh, I'm not okay. straight edge. I, uh, I do, I do keep it very light though. I, I don't, uh, I don't, don't screw around with anything that's dangerous. Um, we stick to we stick to good old booze and, and the good old Mary Jane. That's it. Yeah, yeah, me too, for the most part. All right, well, we've taken up enough of your time today. You've been very generous. Uh, I love hearing your story. I can't wait to see your career uh, as it continues to meteorically rise uh, and to see where you are in five years. Like, I'll be I'm, yeah. very surprised. We're only, a, only a year into the impact contract, so I've still got a whole – Bunch of time to flip impact upside down and shake things up, and uh, we'll see what happens after that. But I believe you will be the impact champion very soon. Uh, tell everybody your social media where they can follow you on all of your various uh, social media platforms. Ah, perfect. Yes. Uh, so my Instagram and my Twitter are at the underscore ace underscore Austin. Um, my I have a YouTube channel that really needs some some updating and some TLC from me because um, it's only got really old stuff on there. But it's pretty, you know, it's, you can see the beginning stuff. So my YouTube is just Ace Austin. You can just find the channel. Um, if you go, I have like a link tree that's on my you know social media profiles. Go to my Instagram, go to my Twitter, or even my Facebook, um, and uh, you can go to the link tree. I have a pro wrestling tea store. I have a uh, there's a website that sells collector edition Ace Austin uh, playing cards, um, stuff like yeah. My my link tree has a whole bunch of really cool uh, links in there. So go get those t-shirts, the, those three sixteen I banged your wife t-shirts. Oh, yeah. available on. I'm the... actually doing yeah. I'm doing a, I'm doing a a little quarantine sale for those three sixteen shirts. I'm doing I'm doing pre-orders right now. Um, while I have this time off, I've decided to. Uh, 
you know, do some, some merch ordering stuff that I haven't really had the time to do before. So, um, I'm, I'm cooking those shirts up right now for when this is all over. There you go, everybody. He is the great Ace Austin. If you have tuned in just to hear Ace and you're not a regular listener of our show, we would very much appreciate it, whether it be on uh, iTunes or iHeartRadio or Google Play or uh, uh, any Spotify, any of the, the places that people get uh, podcasts. Hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star review so that we can continue to get great guests like this and great sponsors. So there the you go, everybody. Champion. The triple X. Thank you for saying that. I, you stopped saying that on the TV show, but you will always be the triple X division champion to me. Good. There you go, everybody. The triple X division champion and future world champion, Ace Austin. Thank you.